so with more money comes more problems was the way that manan introduced himself to us like a week back i think a, a couple of weeks back and then we decided that you know that that this need this episode needs to happen so let's begin with manan who are you what do you do why are you here and let's go yeah i mean i'm i'm famously quoting michael scott from the legendary show the office when i say more money more problems <laughs> so i i'll i'll tell you um, i'm obviously an avid uh, viewer of the office as you can tell since i quote from it apart from that uh, so i i run a company called solar ladder what is happening with solar what is happening in india and what do you think is it going to look like we are too used to consuming electricity which is produced at a, c- a certain source and you know we have these coal power plants which then uh, produce electricity and then the electricity is transmitted all across like using grid infrastructure what rooftop solar is is it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to decentralize our source of um electricity production and consumption The rooftop solar is essentially the first decentralized commercially viable form of electricity produ- production that we currently have and also what's the beauty of it is it's super modular in nature so you don't really need to be a heavy consumer in order to set up like a rooftop solar power plant even if you're consuming like 1 or 2 kilowatts you can just have like 4 5 panels sitting on top of your rooftop uh, sitting on top of a rooftop and you can consume the entire electricity by yourself It's also the cheapest form of electricity purely due to the fact that um, you know there is no transmission required. So again, what that enables that can potentially enable is that if we can increase the per capita consumption of electricity for average Indian, we can actually elevate the uh, average quality of life because our current uh, per capita consumption of electricity is three times less than the global average. What is the upfront capital that's required? That number really varies basis a lot of factors, but I'll give you a roundabout number, right? So I I run a company called Solar Ladder with a couple of friends of mine, Abhishek and Farhan. Abhishek is my uh, university friend and Farhan is my uh, school friend. So we are a supply chain platform for solar installation companies. What we essentially do is we provide a software on which uh, solar installers are able to run their business, and then there is a layer of procurement through which they can procure all the goods that goes into making a solar power project, and then there is the layer of financing through which short-term and long-term financing is provided for for the enablement of uh, rooftop solar adoption. So we're currently the most used solar software in India. um we have more than 300 plus solar companies who are using our system including large companies like mahindra fourth partner and uh, and the likes and um yeah we recently raised a round of funding we raised a total of 1.3 million dollars and this was from uh axelor ventures which is the fund of infosys founders at harvard professor tarun kanna and also from titan capital which is uh, kunal bell and rohit bansal of snapdeal and dvc fund and and like a bunch of angels including uh, deepak jain who's a partner at bain and company so we are uh, this is this is the story as of today we've been at it for um 3 plus years so we started this company um 
three three plus years ago, and um, you know, we've lived through countless pivots on absolutely no uh, sort of external funding before this. Been uh, you know very much like this podcast, how you guys are essentially you know starting it from scratch, making like doing the video editing yourself, doing the um, you know the lighting and everything yourself. We've had a very similar journey, uh, wherein you know we would be the guys who would. Uh, go to the rooftops take the site measurements do the sales talk to investors even to the extent that uh, there was certain like certain times a truck is supposed to get dispatched from uh, like a warehouse of ours and we would be there at site to make sure that everything is um you know in 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 one piece essentially so that's that's a like a synopsis of who i am and how we got here I want to say this infomercial was brought to you by the Lord Bistro. Thank you for joining us. We have Manan from the Solar Ladder who is giving you this infomercial. <laughs> Bro, no, how abs- many times have you given that pitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I have, I have reached the point where there is no distinction between my identity and what I do. I think I am my work. So. Bro, you are your work, <laughs> but I think you are this pitch. <laughs> This was just one after the other. I wanted to stop you. I wanted to be like, okay, he's gonna take a break, <laughs> and it just went on. <laughs> no, that's that's the. No, that's that's the that's, that's the magic and the tragedy of it. Let's start with Manan before Solar Ladder. Sure, please. Who is Manan? Where does Manan come from? And up until you say three plus years, so twenty twenty. So let's say COVID. Right, March twenty twenty. From nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah. From ninety six to twenty nineteen. Let's twenty twenty. Sorry. So, um, I mean, very much like you, Vishwath, I'm a Calcutta boy. So I, uh, I went to school in, uh, I went to school in St James, and uh, that's where I did uh, eighteen years of my schooling before I went to study at the University of Warwick. That's where I did my undergrad in economics. Um, that's why I did my undergrad in economics, and um, yeah, so university was fabulous. I wouldn't change a thing about it. I was uh, definitely one of the most active students on campus, and I, like university as like as a philosophy, uh, university was supposed to be a place where I know what I don't want to do in life. So I just uh, I was involved in a lot of activities so that I know more about myself and um and and try to understand like um, you know what 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 is it that i want to do and the way i got to what i want to do is through a process of elim- elimination rather than just sticking to a certain path for all my life so that's that's been uh, my journey in college i was uh, i used to i used to participate in a bunch of raising and giving act- uh, giving activities uh, wherein i would um, fundraise for a particular organization over the summer. I volunteered one summer in South Africa, teaching kids in a black township called Alexandra, and the other summers in Brazil. Uh, so these were like two essential summers that I spent uh, thinking that earlier. Earlier on, I thought that I wanted to be in social impact, and um, but. I mean, through these experiences, is what I realized that that's not who I am, and that's not what I'm meant to do. Because I get too involved in the in the life of the folks that I'm trying to serve, 
So, I mean, that that's like a synopsis of uh, the process of elimination that I went through in college. But otherwise, uh, fairly active, uh, just in general. I was, I used to play all sports and, um, you know, uh, in school and in college. So, that's that's been a that's been a journey, so far. Just your run of the mill, curious, active, making life based on a series of eliminations. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can't even call that run of the mill. So yeah, definitely not your run of the mill Calcutta boy. No, 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 absolutely. I am very like a proudly I'm Cal. Just a little about how Manan and I met. I was going to meet a mutual friend and he was there as well and he had a copy of this book which I think is one of my favorite books if not my favorite book The Fountainhead by Anne Rand and I think that deserves special mention because I don't think Maran also realizes how much him having that book made me want to talk to him and be like dude I love that you have this and I really want to talk to you as to why you have this no that that is uh, there's quite a note to start a friendship or a meet any meeting on right so yeah i used to have this bad habit of carrying physical books around i mean now that is i mean i try to uh, i i like this was back in bombay when i just come back from university and yeah i i had uh, i think we were with shivar and uh, three that was the first time we met and uh, yeah big believer of objectivism Dude, I still think a physical book has supremacy. Like how much ever you give me Kindle, iBooks, PDF, ebook, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a feeling of reading a book which I don't think can be matched. Absolutely. I I agree with you, especially the smell of it, right? The smell of books. Smell the feel. I think I think there is something about holding a book in your hand. Uh-huh. No, 100%. 100%. Let's go with a believer of objectivity. What what does that mean? Um so objectivism is essentially like uh, the encapsulation of uh, Ayn Rand's philosophy I mean I, I'm telling you my version of it of what I understand it uh, I mean they, she doesn't believe in institutions she believes in um, a man being an institution of his own so there is no there's no hierarchy there's no hierarchy in that world where because everyone is working for themselves rather than um you know like selfishness is a virtue in the land of objectivism of andrand so there is no there is no uh, is that is that right mishud what what do you i would i would tend to agree with what you're saying i completely understand where you're coming from i remember i think i was in the 6th or 7th grade when i read it for the first time and those first three words howard rourke laughed yeah yeah He's about to take a jump from Yeah, he's about to jump off a cliff. Yeah. Naked. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere with no one around him. Yeah. When he had just gotten rusticated from the college for being too uh creative in the not conforming. Non non-conforming. Yeah, that's the word. I just remember being struck by this this non-conformity becomes a major major driver for entrepreneurs I've seen because You know the world as it is right now it's very driven by get good education get this 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 checklist and then get a job and then you live in the job and then you die but on your front you did this 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 you got the education part and then you decided 
I'm going to climb on top of the roofs and I'm going to install solar panels for people. And where that will go, we'll see. Right. How do, how that transition, that mindset, was that a fight? How difficult was it? Um, so um, I... It was actually a very natural transition. It wasn't. It wasn't like I always intended to do this. I I'll be held against my. Uh, I, I I probably should be saying this, but I'll say it either way. I'm you know contrary to popular belief that I'm super passionate about climate change and like solar is what I always wanted to do for the for my entirety of life up until now. That's not the truth. It actually was like a series of happenstance that led one thing to the other and we started a company. So Farhan's my school friend and uh, he was working, so he was at Berkeley when he was working at uh, working on a few uh, solar projects on, on blockchain. And uh, he was like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this project and my colleagues are not interested in pursuing this any further. Uh, are you interested in... Uh, joining me and uh, starting a company. I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not too much, might as well. <laughs> so that's essentially how we went from a like like friends to colleagues working at uh, SolarLadder. And at the same time, uh, there was Abhishek, who was my university friend. Uh, we literally graduated at the same time. And, and uh, like I think uh, the story goes wherein he asked me, like, what are you up to post-graduation? Because even he wasn't up to much. And uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't want to, what we knew was that we, we knew which bridges, bridges to burn, uh, which was that uh, we don't want to get into any sort of established uh, organization. I think that is uh, what we didn't want to do. So this, this seemed like it checked all the boxes in terms of uh, non-conformity. Non-conformism at its best. <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, yeah, so it, it, uh, we had a checklist of non-conformity. So, so we had to make sure that everything conformed to the non-conformity checklist. <laughs> so how much of the non-conformity was bought by the lack of a job as compared to the lack of the will to actually look for the Don't job? Don't call me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was right here, brother. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was a bit of both. I think I was in that phase wherein... Uh, so I was in the UK and I had applied for like uh, like three or four jobs which I really wanted to get into. And uh, yeah, I didn't get those jobs. So then I was like, I'm not applying for 30 of them. And that was pretty much the story for uh, Abhishek and Farhan as well, where they had like a bracket of like four to five stints that they, opportunities that they wanted to grab. If not, then let's figure it out. Sort of a ideology is what we followed. So you went from graduation, I mean, or straight after graduating started with this. This was your first sort of post-graduation work experience? Yep, it was. So uh, this essentially is my, my if I mean, my proverbial resume would just have one job on it. This is my first and hopefully, I mean, we are if we are able to create like a lasting company, this would also be my last job. So, um, yeah, this is my first stint, so to say. Like, I, we started this company. We lived through multiple pivots. We changed the name of the company a couple of times. And then we came to the company in its current form. I was wondering why Solar Ladder was not sitting with me. I was like, this company was called something else. Right. I, like, I saw it on LinkedIn and I was like, Solar Ladder <laughs> doesn't sound 
like the name Manan told me, like it was something else. Yep. No, no, hundred percent. It was a eunuchia. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You go that. <laughs> then he become solar lad, and I I think I checked with you or I don't know who I checked with. I was like, is it solar ladder? I had to confirm once again because I was like, this is not the name I remember. Right. No. Uh. I we uh, we corrected a wrong like by changing the name because that was just a difficult name to pronounce. And um, I mean that was number one. And also we pivoted the business models multiple times. Right. That because people were calling it Anergia. Anergia, Ungeria, and like a bunch of stuff. So it obviously didn't fly very well. It, we didn't have the recall. But at the same time, I mean, fundamentally, what used to happen when we were running Unergia was that it was a B two C marketplace. So, let's say Vishwath wants to go solar, a Unergia would come to them and uh, help them decide who their service provider should be. So, somewhat like an urban club for uh, potential rooftop uh, customers. But now we have gone for B two B. So our customer is not the end customer who we're. Uh, End customer, but we are serving the um, um, the solar installer who's doing the work. Yeah, so we are like the operating system for these solar installation companies. So are you guys all all of you very technical? No. So uh, so contrary to prop uh, to answer your question, no. But contrary to popular belief. Uh, Solar is more finance than it's tech, so it's like a finance, like a financing business under the garb of uh, technicalities. So, but but that said, uh, Farhan is the technical guy. He's uh, he's a product and also the solar guy who's uh, he's technical. And then uh, there's Abhishek and I who have who are um, economists by like education proficiency. And we mainly look after like the finance bit. Let's dive deeper. How is it a finance under the garb of technicality? Interesting. So today, uh, I think the, uh, solar is very, uh, very similar to a car, right? So, um, solar is very similar to a car in the sense that. Cars became omnipresent, number one, when they became economically viable. And number two, when there was financing available only on the, on like only, um, uh, uh, finance was available uh, on the car itself. Today, what, what's happening is that, uh, today what's happening is that um, if you want a loan on your solar power project, it's essentially a uh, it's a home improvement loan. Uh, so you have to put something as collateral in order to get a loan to finance your solar project. But uh, what's starting to happen, in, happen is that there are a lot of banks, NBFCs and other financial institutions who are starting to recognize solar as an asset by itself. Wherein, uh, because there is like a development of another secondary market and uh, there is a lot of salvage value of the solar uh, components that go into making a solar power project, there is a lot of a uh, lot of recognition of uh, the solar power plant as a, a financial product. So I would say so. So that is starting to happen, 
right? So I would so I, solar is similar to a car because there are institutions that are starting to believe that solar is a solar uh, is a financial asset in itself. And what we essentially do is um, uh, we help proliferate the adoption of solar by being that platform that is also helping distribute these loans for the end customer. That's number one. But on top of that, uh, so that's like the one piece of the finance, which is long-term finance that is required to get uh, to increase like the solar adoption. Today, if I was someone who wanted to install a solar power project, as you say, it, I would come to you and be like, hey, I have such and such area. Or at least this is what you were, at least because you said you were B2C. Obviously, you've changed that. Essentially, what would be is that I have such and such area. I'm looking to install a solar power project here. How would it work from there on? Right. No, so um, we, again, we serve the solar installers. So what? I wouldn't come to you. You wouldn't come to me. You probably don't need to know I exist. Um, it's similar to, so so you, you don't need to know I exist. It's like, uh, so, but like the solar installer who's giving you a quotation, he is running his entire business on our system. The solar installer A. I have not come to you. I have gone to that person and been like, hey, I want to install a solar power project. Yes, that's right. But that guy, he is running his entire business on solar ladder. So, um, what does that mean? So it's an operating system for solar inst installers. So they are able to you know, give you a cost-benefit analysis of the solar power project that you're pondering over. He can give you a financing option through us wherein uh, you can decide whether or not you want to opt for a certain bank on an NBFC and what kind of loans they are providing. On top of that, that he will need to procure the materials that goes into making a solar power plant. So there's solar panels, there are inverters, there are structures, there are cables, and so on and so forth. All of which he's going to procure through us. And at the same time, uh, you know, let's say there is any discrepancy in the payment terms between either the financial institution or you in terms of uh, how you want to, how the project should be serviced. Again, we come in as the short-term financier and uh, help them execute the project on, um, on like, smoothly. So essentially, so sorry, coming back to that main point about how is this a financing business? There are two kinds of financing that are required to propel solar. Number one, uh, broadly, uh, two kinds. One is long-term finance, which where the end customer requires a loan in order to service the project. And number two is the short-term finance that the solar installer requires in order to execute the working capital that he needs in order to execute the project. So both of which we enable. The money comes out of your kitty in order to give the loans or are you just a facilitator for the loan between the person and another financial institution? A bit of both. Um, so a bit of both. So what you're essentially asking is... Uh, are we recourse financiers or are we non-recourse financiers? So, a bit of both. We have like uh, we have we are DSAs in certain cases to uh, you know direct selling agents of certain NBFCs where we don't want to take a risk. In other cases, what happens is that we have these uh, complex structures of uh, first loss default guarantees, 
wherein so we are not a registered NBFC, so we don't loan our own money, but uh, we park our funds with a bunch of NBFCs, but they are happy to open, let's say, five x or six x the lines of that equity that I've parked with the NBFCs, and they lend on our behalf. I want to make it easier for the viewer. So NBFC, I think, is a non-bank non-bank financial company, right? Yes, non-banking financial company. Yep. Right. So, for the viewer, what you are trying to do is either you're going to give the money to the person directly. I have this money. You can use my money in order to buy your solar power plant or whatever the project is. You uh, you pay me back slowly, slowly. The other option is you're in contact with another NBFC and it's their money, but you might be invested with them so you have direct skin in the game with that kind of a bank. And the third one is you are just an agent and you are connecting the consumer with the NBFC and you're just taking commission in the middle. Am, am I correct on all three fronts? Yes, you're right on all three. From what I've understood, they can't do the first option because they're not an NBFC. Yeah. They don't have the right to lend someone their money being like, hey, you know, here's the money when you can pay us back. This is a loan on our, from us. You, I mean, yep. and you pay us back. These are the terms and you you're right. Yep. So for that, you have to be an NBFC. Loans come with these beautiful things called interest rates, right? So what kind of interest rates do you provide and how competitive or whatnot? So you're actually making this an infomercial for... <laughs> no, I actually, I actually had a roommate in college, right, in Chicago. And this person, he was a nice guy. The poor thing didn't know how loans worked. Okay, so like... This guy was like, I have an education loan and I, I was a student of finance. I was like, let me take a look at it. I take a look at it. He has a 13% education loan. He's already drowned in 120K of student debt and he's working in social sciences in which his max pay is going to be like $60,000. So he can never cover his interest basis. And I ask him, do you know what this is? He's like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what interest rate means, right? So I just want to break down the process of thinking from a company's perspective for the viewer. Right. No, I think what's uh, in this scenario that you have uh, mentioned, I think what's also important is what's the tenor of this education loan because, um, sure, like it's not payable in one year, but uh, if we look at a 15, 20-year time horizon, then uh, the education loan is would be payable even if the it's... Interest, the interest rate is 12%. Yeah. So at 120,000, right. 12%, you were paying $14,400 just in interest, right? So even Sean, if you but if, even if you were to amortize that, the amortization of the principal anywhere, even if you do it over like a 50-year period, it's still going to be, you'll have to pay north of $14,000 a year. The basic expenditure right. of life would be $40,000. And if you're paying 14000 out of pocket, out of cash, you're making $60,000, how are you going to cover anything? Sure, um... Sure, I mean, also like his 60,000 is going to increase. But yeah, I get your broad point. 60,000 is also going to increase over year on year. But sure, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. How do our loans work? Yes. We try to be a lot more friendly. We don't try to hide under the bushes in, with like our terms, so to say. It's a, you know, um, it really like I can't, I, I can't give like a, uh, you know, like a general, um, because it's you know like a, so so, so that's one of the things that do highest so lowest can go as low as like 10 percent highest can go 15 ish percent 
it really depends on so you know when you're doing like a financial check on an entity where you have to loan um there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that are checked right like civil scores bank statements uh, who they are transacting with if it's an msme then who are their downstream suppliers who are their customers what kind of concentration that they uh, what kind of supplier or customer concentration they have and uh, so on and so forth um they are close to like 20 to 30 parameters that an nbfc has to check before underwriting a case so you know and the interest rate is obviously just one of the variables the other variables are also like the tenor uh the security uh the upfront payment that um the customer has to do so these are all parameters that are decided basis the due diligence so one of the things that we also do on the back end is we're trying to automate these decision making processes for our partner nbfcs and banks as much as possible just so that i'm clear i want to give a i want to go back to the car example essentially you're a mercedes benz you are making the or you are facilitating the making of the car or whatever no actually that does not work you are the say you like you have like 10 dealerships and each of them are getting cars from mercedes benz you are helping them procure those cars if they are not able to they are procuring the cars on order um so let me think of the best example so I this is housing would yeah, sit pretty well housing uh, so do you guys know of this company is called inframarket of business do you uh um i'm trying to think of the best so let's 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 say uh should i i i had okay, how about, answers how for about, this when i was pitching to investors but like i <laughs> how about we start let me, let with me, the word how about we start with the word asset right so for uh-huh. anything to for you to be able to get a loan against anything it needs to be an asset right so you say solar is an asset it's an asset because it has like some kind of a future cash flow attached to it so in the future it will produce some kind of a value for you you take all of that value you bring it to today and you realize that oh it's worth this much then that this much is being leveraged to get money out of it and that money out of it is the loan part which you are willing to provide the people is that correct oh uh, sure yeah yes so basically you guys are saying this will have value in the future you take some value now it will keep producing value in the future out of that value you keep giving me my share and i'll be paid off i think what you're talking about is like the hypothecation of the solar power plant to get another loan on top of that um okay um i think that is definitely the but like i i wouldn't go that deep i would just call it like so, solar is an asset which is you know you put an upfront uh, investment and is going to is going to like fetch you returns over a period of time that is essentially the definition of an asset what has qualified you to or you guys how are you getting your information as to what solar installers might need so it's uh, i mean that is um i mean it's the cornerstone of any business which is just listening to your customers right um uh, i think at the core of it all 
is what uh, you know Y Combinator very famously says that that their motto is make something people want, and like what that essentially means is that you gotta keep uh, listening to what the customers need, spend time with them, and build solutions on top of the problems that they may be going through on a daily basis. So you know the customers know the problems really well. You understand the problems and build a solution for them. So that's uh, so. I mean, uh, what qualifies us? Uh, what qualifies us is the, just the fact that we listen to them and spend time with them, and we've done that over the past three, four years, understanding each and every uh, node of the uh, supply chain, node of what a solar installer does on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, like a lot of us have spent like a few days with our customers in their office to understand what all goes in and out of uh, their factories, their warehouse, their um, offices, and so on and so forth. How much did your experience with Unergia factor into this? Of course, that was the uh, that was the be all and the end all in terms of actually spending time with the customer. So you know what you guys are doing. So you know one of the advice that I was going to give you when you guys were setting this up, I my advice to you was going to be that uh, you know whatever happens, don't subcontract this to someone else until you figure out uh, until you figure out like how to. Like just do it by yourself. That's that's been our motto as well in the early days. That's pretty much what we're doing. Yeah, that's I think more about us getting used to doing two things full time, <laughs> rather than you know something that we don't know. It's just that it gets in the way sometimes. Right? No, no, absolutely. But uh, what what my point was there was that like you know there may there may be a temptation right there that. Let's get a person, or maybe let's subcontract it to someone. That my only opinion was that even if it's get delayed, getting delayed, it's totally okay. Just don't subcontract it, because that's the motto that we also kind of. So to answer your initial question about why, uh, how did we like qualify, and how did we, how did the Unergia experience help? Yes, so those were the times when we actually went on the ground did the sales spoke to investors uh, spoke to you know the end customers understood every single issue there was in the entire supply chain even to the point where one of us would act actually even go to the uh, truck truck drivers like or go to the warehouse to see the truck driver off i mean these were situations where we could easily like could have subcontracted it to someone right but um, to answer your question in a gist did our unergia times help yes because we were on a shoestring budget and scarcity creates clarity. And um, that is uh, that is the motto that we kind of uh, adopted wherein we'll be the ones who literally do every single thing there is and not subcontract it. Because that's, the, that's how you get to be the closest to the customer. Because once when like the organization starts, you know, bloating up, there are a lot more people, um, then the distance between you and the customer just increases. And when that happens, you know, you kind of start playing Chinese whispers with your teams, which is actually interacting with the customer. In in which case, it's not easy to extract what exactly that the customer is wanting or the customer is saying. But your experiences from the early days is what is going to help you create that framework for, you know, all the years. So yeah, uh, sorry, just like a very long convoluted convoluted answer to what qualified us and did Unergia help? Yes, it was just doing it all in the early days without burning too much money on it. 
let's talk about the customer on a more macro scale let's talk about india right that's the main market you are serving in my understanding right what is happening with solar what is happening in india and what do you think is it going to look like in the near future right no no super exciting times for solar um i think it's uh, it's the opportunity of our lifetime um you know what's what's happening on a very macro scale is essentially uh what's happening on a, a very macro scale is essentially like as far as rooftop solar is concerned we are too used to consuming electricity which is produced at a, a certain source and you know we have these coal power plants which then uh, produce electricity and then the electricity is transmitted all across like using grid infrastructure what rooftop solar is is it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to decentralize our source of um electricity production and consumption so um so that's uh you know that's that's what's happening in terms of well uh, that's a kind of solar rooftop solar is essentially the first decentralized commercially viable form of electricity produ- production that we currently have and also what's the beauty of it is it's super modular in nature so you don't really need to be a heavy consumer in order to set up like a rooftop solar power plant even if you're consuming like 1 or 2 kilowatts you can just have like 4 5 panels sitting on top of your rooftop uh, sitting on top of a rooftop and you can consume the entire electricity by yourself so that's the kind of opportunity that rooftop solar is presenting uh as of today uh it's also the cheapest form of electricity purely due to the fact that um you know there is no transmission required so again what that enables that can potentially enable is that if we can increase the per capita consumption of electricity for average indian we can actually elevate the uh, average quality of life because our current uh, per capita consumption of electricity three times less than the global average so the other thing mar with solar that at least i have noticed mm-hmm. is that a lot of these electricity state boards and things like that like west bengal today does not allow you to give back to the grid there's also a certain minimum that you have to pay Mm-hmm. So, in terms of viability, mm-hmm. have you no? Have you had this similar problem in other states as well, or is it just a one-off thing? Hmm. Um, no, it's actually a one-off thing. Um, I would say it's not. I wouldn't say one-off. I'll say I'll still call it a minority. So, if you go, if you go to the west coast, whether that be Rajasthan, uh, Maharashtra, um, Karnataka, Gujarat. these places are super friendly to uh solar policy in general rooftop solar policy uh, policy to be specific yes there is a problem with uh, this st- there's like a state of flux in the sense that you know we've had like a certain policy uh, in 2015 that has changed over a period of time and there's a state of flux which is kind of irritating for the customers but uh you know the the policies back in the west coast are definitely getting much better and uh, yeah there is there is a problem in uh, calcutta uh, per se uh, with the uh, with the grid not allowing net metering and other pro solar pro rooftop solar policies but you know electricity being a concurrent subject which is like you know falls under the uh, central uh, law and also like the state law 
on the center, like as far as the center is concerned, they have passed a law wherein net metering is like you know is is supposed to be um, available to any and every consumer. So it really is. So if today West Bengal is not allowing it, it's very much stopping at the state level. That's great. I mean, I'm so glad that that's the case because. I remember we've had this conversation quite a few times and this is back in your Unergia days. Yep. And this was always the concern that how viable is it when A, you can't give back and B, you have to pay a minimum of like 85% of what you've demanded has to be paid yep. as a demand charge and things like that. So right. there was a whole lot there and it was not really very commercially viable and it was not something that you wanted to get into for that specific reason. So I'm glad that it's a very West Bengal, Calcutta specific thing rather than a India specific thing. Yes, yes, it is a West Bengal specific thing. But at the same time, still like, you know, if, uh, you know, there is this, you may, let's say, for example, you are, um, hypothetically, you require 100 kilowatts to meet your entire needs. You can still size your system in West Bengal to meet only your daytime needs and it will still be commercially viable. So, you know, if net meter was allowed, you could go in for an entire 100 kilowatt and sell the excess electricity to the grid and get credits for it. But what's, uh, what you can still do now is, let's say your daytime consumption is 50 kilowatt. You can still set up a 50 kilowatt system. There will be a wastage of electricity units which are, you know, excess sleep, uh, you know, produced in excess if you go for like a reverse power relay. Um, but, uh, uh, but on a whole, you will still be like that 50 kilowatt will still be a very commercially viable proposition for you. Uh, because just to talk numbers, right? If, um, if let's say the cost of electricity currently is 7 rupees per unit. And we, so I'm doing an apples to apples comparison. Because, you know, 7 rupees you're paying per unit. It's an OPEX cost that you bear, operational expenditure. Um but if you were to set up a rooftop solar power plant, you are putting in upfront capital and then you don't have to pay any OPEX charges. But if I were to levelize that cost of electricity over a period of 25 years, which is the life of the solar power plant, that's 7 rupees compares to only 2 rupees. Of um, uh, Solar electricity cost is only 2 to 3 rupees compared to the 7 rupees. So the, uh, the savings that you can make, the project IRR, the savings, the return on investment is massive. It's a complete no-brainer. Yeah, on a logical scale, India is a country very rich in solar energy. Like we have sun throughout the year. It is not even that the nights are very long in certain times, right? And solar has been there since the 1970s, 1980s. We have known about solar power plant, solar power panels, right? It's not. It's not like the, it just came two years ago. Why isn't India just like? filled to the brim with solar power plants everywhere, like on in every state, in every city. Right. I, I would say the, uh, I think it's, uh, I'm going to be a little pompous here and say that there it's because companies like us haven't existed. It, uh, the reason, I, I'll tell you the reason why I feel so as well, right? Because this business is a very localized business. Um, in the sense that there are these really small, hyper-local companies all across um, the uh, the country, which are doing the solar installations. 
right? The biggest bottleneck that they face is, you know, working capital financing, getting the right material at the right price, uh, being able to run their business on a full end-to-end, like, automated tool. That is something that these guys don't have, uh, don't have in order to proliferate solar to the kind of potential that, you know, uh, Akhil, that you think there is. And uh, the main issues today, as far as uh, proliferation of solar uh, uh, solar is concerned, is the supply chain issues. Demand, as I mentioned, is a no-brainer. But the biggest issues lie on the supply side, wherein installers are not able to operate properly, manufacturers are not able to predict where to place the material, where the demand is going to come from. These are the biggest pain points that we want to solve. And at the end of the day, access to finance remains the largest bottleneck as far as the end customer is concerned. So a lot of banks and NBFCs were previously giving uh, loans as a home improvement loan on the solar power plant itself. But what's starting to happen is that a lot of NBFCs and institutions are realizing that solar power plant in itself can be an asset and uh, people are starting to collateralize the asset and give them a loan, uh, give a loan to uh, give a loan hypothecated by the solar power plant itself so that they can finance that upfront capital that is required to get the power plant. What is the upfront capital that's required? Right. So it really depends on uh, the scale that which we are talking about. Let's so, look at say a 10 kilowatt, 50 kilowatt and 100 kilowatt. Sure. So that number really varies basis a lot of factors. But I'll give you a roundabout number, right? So for a 10 kilowatt system, it can cost uh, you somewhere around uh, 4 lakh to 5 lakh rupees. This is for the initial setup only? Yeah, only initial setup. And the main cost is only initial setup. So 4 to 5 lakh rupees is what a 10 kilowatt system will uh, cost you. Um, and then, you know, as... Uh, so that's essentially like... Uh, we look at the per kilowatt pricing. So, 40 to 50 rupees per, 40 to 50,000 rupees per kilowatt. That is essentially the costing. But as the scale increases, the per unit costing decreases. So, the average size, so average size for a residential system is around 5 kilowatt. So, that would be around 2.5 lakhs. Um, for an MSME, that, that 5 kilowatt would be around 50 kilowatt. That's the average size for an MSME. That would be around 25 lakhs. Or actually, it's the per unit cost decreases. So I would say around uh, 20 lakhs. And then for an industrial, let's say, warehouse or even even like a large factory, it can go up to 500 kilowatts, wherein it's, again, the per unit cost decreases to around 35 rupees, 35,000 rupees per kilowatt. And that would be approximately 1.75 crores. There's space limitation, right? Like, it completely depends on how much space you have on top of a warehouse to even be able to set up a 500 kilowatt plant. Am I correct or am I incorrect? Absolutely. So, you know, as I was saying that giving up, it's, this is a very customized product. It's not standardized by any means. So, you know, there, when we do, um, you know, so these are like one of the biggest complications when it, when I was referring to the kind of problems that solar installers have even like a technical site visit 
requires a lot of deliberation before giving a proposal. You know, in other industries, giving a proposal is very standardized. You give like a one-pager PO or a PI and that's about it. But the, over here, what, let's say, you want to set up a solar power plant for your house, a person will have to come, he'll have to read your electricity bills, see the amount of unencumbered rooftop space there is, so shadow-free, there can't be any shadow falling from trees, etc., etc., then ask you the question about how much uh, space you are willing to give up or put up a superstructure for in case you are wanting to not give up the space. And then, uh, you know, essentially you'll have to run the entire simulation on another software. Uh, the software essentially is like, a, you know, to see that this particular building, this latitude, like longitude, kitna sunshine gitta hai over the course of the entire year. Because that differs from one place to another. And the cost-benefit analysis will be majorly dependent on that parameter. So, a proposal is very intricate. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just, it's not just, you're not just putting a solar panel on your rooftop. There is a structure that is essentially supporting it. Then there is an inverter, which is the brain of the entire power plant. Then at the same time, there is an entire, like, cable laying you've got to do. You also need to make sure that water tank is as pass so that you can uh, clean the panels on a regular basis. It's a very customized solution. And uh, do you all also do something based out of batteries? Like if you if someone say wanted to connect a set of batteries to their solar power project as well? Right. So batteries are in. Uh, do we do or do we enable them to do it? Yes, of course. But are batteries uh, very? commercially viable as of today no absolutely that is something that I would say outside of India a lot of the people that are facing this issue with solar power and why they're not putting it is because mainly because of the batteries and because they can't utilize their whole thing at night yeah absolutely you're right like batteries are not uh, batteries are not commercially viable in India abroad also it's lesser so but it is the future yeah yeah 100% so Akhil and I are major battery enthusiasts. Oh, so we really like to read about a lot of batteries. We don't know much about how to make them, but uh, I think when we were doing our news segments and stuff like that, we used to always have our hashtag battery news of the week. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys got to do like a podcast on that particular topic alone. We'll get someone who is a battery expert. You know, that'll, that'll be more informative. Because I think whoever listens to us and whoever has been listening to us since about February or March uh-huh. will have noticed this almost every week or two weeks. We used to do a news episode and it used to have battery news of the week. We're actually trying to get into more, more into the energy production also. We did an episode with Narayan. So he's running how to produce electricity from ocean waves. So they okay. have a, a very so interesting tidal, project going. Tidal. Not tidal, waves. Like the waves hit the machine and then the like it just sort of like they use the power that the wave yeah. They use the power with which the wave will hit that machine to create the the machine. So it's not I think tidal was more based on plates moving as per the tide and all that. Mm-hmm. I think this is more to do with initial, like how a wave initially will hit. Got it. Uh, this this machine, which is still in testing phase, I think they, he said that it would be implemented 
by March 2024. I mean, the mechanics of it would be still similar to like hydropower, right? I'm not sure exactly was the mechanics, but right. uh, you can watch our episode for that. Yeah. There is, there is definitely a turbine attached to the whole thing. Sure. Everybody should watch that episode. Watch it. Like now. That episode will be out by the time this is out. God, so hopefully everyone watching this has already watched that. If not, yeah. link is above. <laughs> the per capita energy consumption has been a very interesting topic of discussion. I think Bill Gates has been a big proponent of that as well because of this book written by Vaclav Smil who talks about exactly whichever society has been at the top of the food chain has always had the highest level of energy consumption. For example, right now it's the US who is at the top of the food chain and their energy consumption are bonkers. Then it's China, again, bonkers, right? Even in the past when it used to be like Roman Empire, their energy consumption, including the human mechanical energy, was at the top of the food chain. So, do you think you being an enabler for people to set up solar businesses in the first place, right? That's what you are enabling people to do, the go out there and set up your own solar business. Do you think that can significantly push India into a lot more energy consumption per se? Right. Uh, just one thing I want to, you know, differentiate uh, is energy is very different from electricity. Like, uh, that's that's definitely one very strong differentiating factor between the two. To answer your question, yes, we are uh, enabling, we want to increase the per capita consumption of electricity. That is definitely one of the uh, missions that we, um, you know, uh, swear by. Because we feel like today, if you look at it from again, like a very macro scale, only 3 to 5% of the entire like households and offices are actually air conditioned. And uh, the the summers are just getting worse, right? There is uh, there is there's an entire angle about how um, climate change adaptation is a big issue and is going to be a very big issue as we as years go by and when we go into our twenty thirties and twenty forties. So, if we can somehow um, have more electricity consumption, that is enabling, not uh, enabling any sort of cooling. I think that will be a big win because cooling is the most electricity consuming part of any, uh, you know, whether that be residential, commercial or MSME unit. And the applications are in a hot country like us is not just about like getting like cooling for people, but it's also for, you know, um, supply chains for cold supply chains for food and so on and so forth so there is a massive ceiling when it comes to being able to um, increase the consumption of electricity in terms of urban versus rural how have you seen the adaptation of solar in India when you say urban versus rural, do you mean like in urban areas versus rural areas, or do you mean like uh, folks who are living, uh, folks like urban folks versus rural folk? Because you know, I'm saying uh, areas. I'm doing more of an area wise because, as we said earlier, the main issue with a lot of the solar, at least for commercial, is it's space limited, right? Whereas rurally, you have that space available, and also the way that most 
what do I say, conventional electricity reaches rural places, it's a little, like the coverage is a little lesser there. So, would I mean, I would assume that if there are people who are able to provide solar projects to those remote extents or to rural areas, I'm assuming people would be very happy to get that on board. So, right. what's your experience with that? There are many, many aspects to this, uh, but to let me let me answer your question in a way that so there's a lot more solar penetration that is happening in the MSME sector which is non-urban and or not just MSME even like just general like the solar revolution when it comes to so there's the most amount of rooftop which uh, most amount of solar that is set up in large parcels of land this is a there are essentially two kinds of solar there's a utility scale solar and then there is the rooftop solar of course, there's like floating solar on like oceans and stuff, but I'm not getting that on on the land. There, on land, there are essentially two kinds of solar: rooftop solar and utility scale solar. The most amount of action is actually seen in the utility scale solar, where the likes of Adani, etc., setting up large power plants and uh, you know transmitting that electricity all across uh, the country. So you know, Adani also owns the grid, so they supply that electricity to their own grid and then that is in turn consumed by us but again that's not the right we believe that that's not the right way to go solar the right way to go solar is decentralized rooftop solar which is uh, ridding ourselves of the inefficient grid infrastructure that we currently have which is 200 years old to answer your question about to get further into rooftop solar uh, where do we see a lot more action it again is in rooftop solar we see a lot more action in the industrial sector in the large factories, in the then it trickles down to the MSMEs again, which is non-urban. Urban doesn't see too much of an action. Uh, urban areas in India don't see too much of an action, and we don't expect it to either, because of the fact that, uh, as you mentioned, there isn't enough roof space available in order to set up these power plants. So even if you were to set up, you know, let's say you had limited unencumbered space and you are able to set up a small rooftop power plant, it will only meet a very small portion of your needs. Especially for commercial. Yeah, exactly. So what I was referring to more specifically was decentralized rooftop solar in rural areas where the conventional electric grid doesn't usually get there. Got it. Okay. So about that, um, so yes, there is a lot of incentives being so, you know, currently there's a Kusum scheme which has come out that has to do with empowering farmers with solar solutions in order to power their pumps, in order to, you know, water pumps that that is used in irrigation. That, that kind of application is seeing a lot of traction and there's a very strong incentive and subsidy schemes in order to proliferate that kind of application. If we're talking about rooftop solar specifically, it's an expensive. Uh, it's it's expensive for rural communities to adopt rooftop solar, but at the same time, there are a lot of organizations that work under the uh, under the uh, mission of uh, making energy access electricity accessible to all, and they are doing it under their own like funding, so to say. Do you think it's gonna get cheaper in the next decade, in the next five years, or whatever? Uh, rooftop uh, solar in general, not as much it has uh, not 
as much as it has in the last 10 years. So just to give you an idea of the price points over the past like 2010 to 2020, I think 2010 it was 10 times more expensive than it was today. Essentially, you know how te like certain technologies, especially like semiconductors, they, uh, they fall in prices over a period of uh, 10 years. That kind of has already happened. Uh, and uh, we don't expect too much fall in prices any further after, you know, a reduction of 10x has already happened in the past 10 years. So we've reached a price point where it is commercially viable. It's a no-brainer. The I think the, the 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 actual, like, as I mentioned previously, the actual problem lies in the supply chain and the lack of access to finance. So there is a more, the technological shift has already happened. There needs to be more innovation in storage, batteries, business models that is pro helping proliferate uh, rooftop solar. That's that's the kind of phase that we are in. I'll tell you why my question in the first place. Because once I do get financing from you, let's say I get it for 25 years, and my belief system is that, yeah, the solar has gone down so much in the past decade. What if I get trapped into like a 25-year thing where I have paid 10x the price and five years later I feel screwed? Is there an insurance? Is there some sort of a defense mechanism for me to make that decision easier? Right. No, that is actually a very big uh, issue that a lot of folks face uh, for adopting solar. And um, um, yeah, that that is, you know, it's a very, it's a very volatile, like solar panels in itself are a very volatile. So you can't really time when to get your solar power plant um, is, is what I feel, especially for like a residential system, um, which is like fairly small. Um, so... I think the best time to go solar was yesterday is uh, is my opinion to everyone. Um, you shouldn't try to time it because it's not really worth it. And especially when you're going for like smaller systems, of course, when this quantum starts getting larger, then, you know, th there needs to be a lot more optimization in terms of costing. But um, is the technology going to evolve? Yes, it is. Uh, I can't say that it's not uh, you know, there may be other forms of technology which will be, you know, like for for example, there was, I think there was a, there was a, uh, there was a research which was being done at Stanford wherein certain solar panels were able to produce electricity at night. Uh, so those kind of breakthrough technologies will keep coming, but at the same time, your what you have to look at it in, in terms of is, um. ครับก็จะเปย์แบ็กพีเรียดเองถ้าเกิดว่าคุณอินเวสท์เมนต์กันเร็วถ้าเกิดว่าคุณอินเวสท์เมนต์กันเร็วถ้าเกิดว่าค
breakthrough technology say solar panels can generate power at night right no that 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 kind of risk you take with every technology right what about it then today like you buy a phone you can always have a better t- iphone that is going to come up the very next uh, that's what you have an upgrade cost right so if i want to today if i bought a phone one year ago and i have it on a certain contract or if i even don't have it on the contract i go to the person and i'm like hey i want to give this phone and i want to buy the new phone right so they will give me x amount of price on mm-hmm. my old phone and give me the new phone mm mm-hmm. so that's my question in five years time say today i put in a solar power project and i have financing for 25 years five years later there are solar panels that can generate power at night what that what's the upgrade cost what is the way how do i go about it no currently so i can't give you a, a an answer right now on terms of what's the upgrade cost because you know what's happening with again like phone for example or even automobiles is that there is a significant secondary market right today that significant uh, sec- secondary market in solar is starting to show signs so i can't give you a number immediately ki iska kitna hoga but aa raha so jab wo aa jayega tab aap 5 saal mein you know ideally you will be able to sell your solar panels get the upgraded solar panels and uh, yeah keep saving on your electricity costs and as far as the financier is concerned well everyone has their own terms and so i can't like give like a these are very customized contracts right i can't give like a while i like i'm trying to simplify by comparing it to automobiles or um automobiles or uh, phones these are very customized contracts but what my hope is that the majority of the financiers wouldn't have a problem as long as they are obviously making their uh, returns that they need to so basically this is something that has to be figured out between the end user and the financier and then as and how the secondary solar market develops you are going to get a better picture and in today's day that secondary market does not exist it's starting or it's, sign. Yeah. yeah so that level of secondary market let's say as there is for a say mobile phones or cars or whatever mm-hmm. that doesn't exist right which is why in as of like what july 2023 we don't have a way of you know saying that okay maybe in 5 years you have a certain upgrade cost but you do envisage that comes it 100% maybe one of our viewers can build like a secondary marketplace online kind of thing for solar panels no we want to do that don't you. get the viewers to <laughs> do it <laughs> we want to do that at some point of time <laughs> but sure so i mean I, yeah so you named a couple of companies that you see yourself as right you were like i am salesforce i am india mart i am xyz for solar right i see you as youtube for solar why i see you as youtube for solar is because youtube as a platform allows for the creatives to come on and set up their careers as creatives and for you are able to provide a platform for these people who wish to set up a business in solar that get to come on your platform and set up a business for solar so let's get a deeper dive into numbers how many businesses have been able to set themselves up because of you and if you're comfortable with the whole my numbers are this we would love to hear from sure yeah youtube is definitely a great example another very good example would be uh, youtube for creators is a good example another great example would be let's say shopify for uh, um you know e-commerce 
So these are essentially enablers. Um, yep. So that's uh, in terms of numbers, we currently have 300 plus solar companies who are running the entire business on our system. Um, in terms of, so, you know, I was talking about, I spoke about the wrong North metric. Our actual North metric is essentially how much, uh, how much solar we have deployed and essentially how much carbon footprint we have reduced. So, directly or, uh, you know, we, uh, directly or indirectly, we have essentially 300 megawatts, which uh, 300 megawatts worth of solar, which is deployed by customers who use our system. 300 megawatts, uh, this is over the past two years, so 2021, 2022. 2023 numbers are not fresh yet. But, um, you know, these, this is how much uh, we have enabled in the past two years, 300 megawatts. In terms of numbers, that is approximately worth $100 million. Yes. So $100 million worth of solar has been deployed by customers who use our system. So you all are making money based off of subscriber models that these people sign up with? We have, uh, we have, uh, the way we make money is essentially, so sure, we have like a software subscription. That's one piece of it. Uh, then, you know, once, uh, then we also have like, when people purchase material from us, we make money there. When people in get financing from us, we make money there. Um, and the idea is that we are also building a lot of value-added services in terms of like, for example, uh, if someone needs a design or needs to do a site visit and they don't have a personnel, we try, we are trying to get into all those segments, basically everything that our customers needs and wherever a monetization opportunity exists, we try to, but yeah, a major, major, major revenue actually comes from selling materials to these customers who use our system and of course, there's a software piece as well. So you're basically connecting the supplier of these products, whatever, whatever, say, like someone who's manufacturing a solar panel, someone who's manufacturing the thing that the solar panel stands on, the structure, yeah. the materials for that structure, etc. So you are, you have your deals in place with them, and then you end up providing them to your customers. And then you're making a cut. Yes, we are aggregating. So and because yeah. so you're aggregating and then... Yeah. Like a wholesaler. Yeah. So I would think that solar power, people setting up the solar power plants on my house would be not very inclined to newer technologies. Let's go Let's go that way. I, I feel like it would be something that you buy off of the shelf and then you install it for somebody on their rooftop and then they have solar. How did you educate them? How did you get them to employ a software, employ a CRM system, employ the education of such softwares because it is a learning curve that they have to go through that okay I have to see this 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 was it difficult like starting off with a software company right absolutely and I'm not going to take any credit for that because I don't take part take care of that part of the business at all so it's Abhishek and Farhan who should Abhishek Farhan and the entire team that looks after the software deployment and customer success and and so on and so forth um, you're right you're absolutely right it's a very uphill task uh, in getting Indian SMEs to use software. But 
at the same time, what we have seen is that the receptiveness. So, you know, there's there's a learning curve. It's steep in the early days, but once they get, uh, because the software has been designed very well by Farhan and, you know, there's a lot of intricacy has that has gone into, uh, you know, product design and uh, uh, usability. Um, we have seen that after they go through the learning curve, maybe for a month or so, the stickiness is very high. And what we are also seeing is because of high internet penetration just in general, which is you know post-geo kind of a world that we live in, uh, there's, there's, there's an unusual amount of uh, technology receptiveness among SMBs as well. Initially, they would not run their businesses on even like Excel sheets. They would run it on pen and paper. But now what we are starting to observe is um, that learning curve is steep. But if you make a really good product wherein, uh, you know, there is a lot of uh, usability and a lot of uh, value, they are going to stick to it for the long run. Are you profitable? We were profitable until the previous fundraise. Uh, now we are in growth mode. Does competition scare you? Because they're going to be popping up here and there and everywhere once your growth comes about? Right. The way I, the way we look at it is that uh, our biggest competition is coal. Or We're talking about competitors in the same market. Yeah, no, 100%. That's the, that, the way we look at it is that uh, our biggest competition is actually coal. There is no... This is a very vast ocean. Um competitors uh, we are we look at competitors as enablers right because today the solar market is quite small as in like it's seeing its early days whereas the uh, we have to push the boundaries of uh, uh, push the boundaries of uh, uh, of solar so com if there are competitors we are pushing like so called competitors we are essentially pushing like the borders together so we don't pure, like look at them as purely like competitors. There's a long, long way to go, long uh, journey to charter. And uh, more companies that work in this space, the better it is for all of humanity. And in fact, uh, I'm not just saying this from <laughs> like a uh, you know holier than thou kind of a perspective. I actually, we actually kind of believe that. And I was actually like, you know, funnily enough, I was... Well, funnily enough, I was watching uh, that two, when you asked me this question, two immediate clips stand out in my head. The one is obviously like, you know, there is a, uh, uh, I think there's a blonde or uh, interview between uh, Messi and Ronaldo who are sitting beside each other and they're, you know, they're asking about their perspective on each other. And even yesterday I was watching like this uh, one interview of Dipinder Goel, um, and Dipinder Goel of Zomato and him talking about Swiggy. And in fact, he he has he has complimented Swiggy in uh, uh, in in the IPO documents as well. So these two clips like stand out immediately. Wherein you know if one you know if there aren't enough, th there should be someone who's pushing you to be better than you are yesterday. And um, and. I think that is more so in our space because you know climate tech has seen busts as well. It has seen a boom, it has seen a bust, and then again it's seeing a new boom. And it's very important that companies are built 
in uh, number one ethically, number two innovatively. And if you don't have too much like folks who are also running around the corner, um, then you're not getting pushed on a regular basis, and the boundaries need to get pushed for sure. So, yeah, don't look at them as competitors. So it, they don't scare us. I mean, yeah, that's that's my opinion. Big statements, man. Comparing yourself to Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah, no, of course you got to keep aspiring. We got right from infomercial manan to like aspirational, boastful. I don't know what to say. <laughs> we went from Salesforce to YouTube to Shopify, and now we are at Messi Ronaldo. No, these are just like, like we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Mara, I just wanted to get back one question I had. You said the learning curve is steep for the first month, yeah. How do you get them to make that learning curve? Uh, it all starts off with uh, knowing the customer and knowing the kind of issues and problems that they deal with. Um, you have to have a very good, smooth onboarding process, uh, which is uh, which is delivered. Online, on Zoom, uh, you have to have very strong customer support mechanisms which are always there in order to even help them with ki ye button press karne se isme kya hoga, that kind of queries. So, you know, India is a place where customer service is not, uh, you know, not at its best. So, even if you go an extra mile and give superior customer service, people are willing to stick with you. Um, so, Great onboarding, good customer support, usability of the product, obviously. That is, again, like something that has to be given a kudos to the entire tech team. They've created a very user-friendly product, which is um, which is easily, you know, it's intuitively getting used by multiple companies, which, were, which are first-time software adopters. So even if you look at, like, you know, there are certain... Uh, if you look at Khata Book, for example, uh, in in India, uh, what they have done is they've gotten like Kirana stores to start using software for the very first time. Um, so that's essentially like you know that's the kind of mindset that you need to have. Wherein I think the the broad three pillars which you need in order to get first time software adopters to use software. So. Great customer support, good onboarding, and number three was uh, just product usability. So I wake up tomorrow morning, I see this podcast, I see Manan is sitting there talking about this company, and it's going to enable me to open a solar company, okay, so to open a solar installation system. I go online and I start thinking how to set up this thing. What now? What's the next step? How do I get to solar ladder? How do I set it up? What's the process? Well, the first thing you do is you start uh, start using the software, right? Wherein you can run your entire business. You can create your uh, projects. You can start doing sales. You can start creating proposals through which you can start pursuing the end customer. So that's the, the entire end-to-end software you can run. Uh, end-to-end business you can run on our uh, vertical SaaS tool. How does one get in touch with you? So you are on our website. Um, you get in touch with us uh, on our website. Chances are, if you're starting a solar business and you know someone who runs a solar business, they may rec- they may refer you to Solar Ladder, and uh, because 
we are the most used solar software in India today. So, um, yeah, that's another great way in which we get a lot of customers is through referrals or uh, through um, the solar, like our website. So that's number one. You start using our software, start creating proposals, start doing sales work. Then if you, once you will start winning certain projects, you will require material in order to set up these projects. You require the material at the right time, at the right price point, and you require all of that from one place. We are that one-stop shop place where through which you can get all the materials that goes into making a solar power plant. So whether that be a solar panel, an inverter, steel structure, cables, uh, pipes, so on and so forth. So everything you can get from a one-stop shop marketplace. Then on top of that, you realize that, okay, this customer is great. He wants to go ahead, but he uh, he needs some sort of financing because he doesn't want to pay the upfront capital. Again, we arrange the financing for you to push to your end customer. Then at the same time, you realize that, okay, this, uh, this financier who is financing the end customer is not willing to pay me upfront for uh, executing the project and you require working capital financing. Again, that is something that we help you get. So it's a full, you know, every pain point we have taken care of. And then we are also building like value-added services. Like, let's say you also need to get a permission from uh, from the Discom in order to, um, you know, the, for the power plant that you have set up. Again, that permission also will help you get. So it's, uh, you don't have to run around 10 places, especially like an SMB, which is like a three to five member team. You don't have to run out 10 or 10 places to get 10 things done for with 10 different people. We are there to one stop shop where they can get every single thing done. How much will that cost you? So our tool is a freemium tool. Um, so um, you start, you can start using the free tool to start using maybe the basic functions like CRM and sales proposals. But then as the time goes by, you can start, uh, you know, our software isn't priced that much. So it is suited for the SMBs. So it's at, it's the the pro and the premium versions are not priced more than 2000 rupees per user per month, right? So that is the uh, cost of using the software. But when it comes to, so now how much, now, it really depends on what you want to purchase from us, whereas the pricing differs, the quantity, etc. So, usually we try, to, uh, our, our customers have seen, uh, so I, I'm, I won't be able to tell you how much it costs because it's not a standardized thing, but what I can tell you is that they end up saving at least 3 to 5% on their costs uh, when they purchase from us as compared to purchasing from the market because our pricings are better, our working capital uh, financing is there, so they can get material on credit, and so on and so forth. And three to five percent is, by the way, a very very large amount when you look at it from three to five percent of the revenue, right? Which basically translates to if the profit margins are, uh, you know, let's say eight to ten percent, then we're essentially talking about like profit increasing by thirty percent. So that is a massive. Uh, value prop that we are providing and then also you'd also need to if you look want to look at it from another perspective they don't have to go around running to 10 people to get 10 things done so that is another like unaccounted 
cost for that we are saving for that it let's have you anti cell solar why is solar bad <laughs> vishwath uh, uh, or vishwath akhil you know um do you guys consume electricity of course you don't need to consume as much electricity you know that right like you can uh, you can live an ascetic life and uh, not have like air conditioning cooling you and uh, you, know, you don't need so many lights you don't need all these appliances around you so <laughs> that's yeah, anti cell uh, electricity uh, anti cell solar yeah. i still have natural gas coal <laughs> dams fire sure, the, I, I'm, I'm starting here i'm i'm starting here Oh no, no, bro! You missed this point. I think he's gonna try it. I think he's gonna electricity because according to him, solar is the best thing you do for electricity. Because the moment you are there, you go. We should got it. But okay, no. To be honest, like the expression. Oh my god! I know this camera has gotten it, and it gonna be like zoomed in and front and center because the cringe on your face that you were telling us. You can live an aesthetic life. You got it. it's like you know it's like one of those questions when you go like for a job interview someone is asked like what's your biggest weakness i work too hard <laughs> i tend to not sleep because i'm so obsessed with my work no but like okay going back to the activity let's let's anti cell solar um aha uh-huh. shit this is how do i anti cell solar and not cell anti cell electricity um yeah man it's a difficult one um well i think what it i mean what solar does is definitely like it takes away space from your roof so what we have seen is um what like the main issues that a lot of customers face are number one if they are not so, uh, you know they don't fall under the realm of financial accessibility and they don't want to put the upfront capital those are the folks that get off the uh, get off the solar realm uh number two are folks who probably don't have a pakka house if they have a kachcha house so in that case you can't set up like steel structures on which you set up a uh rooftop solar power very easily if those of our viewers not from india pakka house is a house with cement and columns and like most of us live kachcha house is something that's made out of mud it doesn't have any columns or steel or any support as such which is why it cannot support structures on top of it yep um so if you are one of like i mean if these are the, the if you fall in one of the two uh, um realms then solar is not a great uh, proposition for you um third would be maybe if you um if you don't want to go for a superstructure right like uh, usually you know uh, the thing with india is that terraces are actually a place where community uh like a, like a community gets together and has a has a good time putting up a rooftop solar power plant kind of blocks that space and even when you put up a superstructure to put up that uh, solar power plant the natural sunlight penetration in that rooftop space is kind of decreased so if you again like you really value 
your terrace and you want it to be the way it is and don't want um you know any sort of encumbrances over there so then roof like rooftop solar is not a good sell for you this is again for residential today if you are a msme i it's very difficult for me to anti sell solar cuz like like oh you're not looking to make profits i think that's if you're if you're like if you're if you're not looking to make savings and profits i mean that's that's when you don't buy or put solar through some some you know when you when you ask a solar guy to anti sell you solar even in his anti sell he is saying maybe <laughs> even in his anti sell he is saying if yeah and he's selling solar <laughs> he's like you don't like to make profits you don't like to do this then don't set up solar <laughs> okay so now we have a final question for you mm-hmm. left for our view by our previous guest okay and funnily enough it has worked out well enough that it goes with the first line of this podcast more money more problems right so we're taking money out of the equation so he says if money doesn't exist as an entity in this world uh-huh. where would you be whoa if money doesn't exist and i honestly like honestly i think i'd still be doing the same thing that i am right now um yeah i i love what i do i i feel like it falls very well into our ik my ikigai uh ikigai essentially being so yeah that i i think it falls very well into the realm of what would i would have liked to do and i would still be doing the same thing maybe i would be playing a lot more i would be playing a lot more music uh playing a lot more uh football while i still can uh and giving lesser hours to work uh compared to what i am doing right now but yeah i i think life is pretty good wouldn't wouldn't change a thing